Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Wow, it's great to be here. Um, I feel like I'm sort of walking in a dream um, because this is really a fulfillment of a dream, uh, ministering with my family. Um, it's something that um, I've strived for and worked for for a very long time because my own family, my own siblings, um, walked away from the, the call of God. And ever since then, I've said, Lord, I want their anointing for my children. And um, it's just been wonderful to see that fulfilled. So that's a real dream come true. And um, it's wonderful also to be ministering in places where it's a big, wide open space. And so I want to bless Phil and Emma for providing that. Um, and we, we love ministering where we have relationship and where we feel at home and where you draw things out of us. That is definitely what's happening here, which is wonderful. So I am Joy, but today really I am Mummy. Say hello, Mummy. <laughs> because I really want to operate in the ministry of being a mother. Because um, we've had some dads and brothers ministering yesterday. And although I've tried all night to grow a beard, <laughs> and but you had to be there to get that joke as well. Um, <laughs> I have, as you see, I haven't grown a beard. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to be in this line of prophets from yesterday. Um, but I am going to be mummy prophet. And I'm going to be, I'm bringing a nurturing word. And I feel that's so important in, in the church today. You know, people are banging on about father heart of God, father heart of God. But actually, mother heart of God is just as important because we need nurturing. We desperately need nurturing because we have these prophecies. And But how do you do it? How do you do it, mummy? Tell me. <laughs> you know, how do you bring them to fulfillment? So that's what I'm going to be today, talking about today is fulfilling pro the prophecy. And... Um, if you were here yesterday, and I'm going to recap, because the guy has stole my thunder. Sorry about that. But all day I was saying, that's what I was going to say. That was like what I was going to say. But that's great, because there was a great unity in what was shared. And I thought it was great, because it was really clear. Because God wants to talk to us. He wants to get our attention. All through Scripture, he wants to get our attention and if you notice that in the New Testament, uh, there's so many references to Old Testament prophecy. They're words that haven't just fallen to the ground, they've been fulfilled. So he, fulfillment of prophecy is so important. So when you come home from a conference or you've received a prophecy, it needs to be fulfilled. And um, how do we do that? It's very important. Okay. First of all, I am the fulfillment of prophecy. The Lord said to Richard, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace and you shall walk her up the aisle and you shall marry her. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm also the fulfillment of prophecy because it says a nagging wife is like a dripping tap. <laughs> and I'm certainly a nagging wife on many occasions. I know you don't believe it. <laughs> so, um, uh, we can, we can do the mountain song in a minute, okay? Get ready later. Okay. <laughs> So when I, today, when I talk about prophecy, I'm talking about personal prophecy. I'm not talking about, um, you know, in 20 months, two days, two hours, and 10 seconds, the Lord shall return. I'm not talking about that sort of prophecy. We're talking, all yesterday, we were talking about personal prophecy, weren't we? And it was meant to be encouraging, exhorting, building up type of prophecy, which is all good stuff. Because as we know from your favorite verse, tell us, Matthew. Oh, it's for your edification. What? Oh, Jeremiah 20. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So that all sounds very positive, doesn't it? So we were talking about positive prophecy yesterday. <laughs> okay. Uh, building up, encouraging. Okay. So we're talking about the prophecy, fulfillment of personal prophecy, which in turn leads us to regularly ascend the mountain of the Lord, where we view the purposes and plans for our lives. Have we got our mountain, please? Yay. So today I'm going to be talking about my two favorite subjects, which are prophecy and mountains, which I'll come on to later. (laughs) So I believe that prophecy really speaks of who we are, where we are going, and what we will become. And that's, I mean, that is pretty big stuff, isn't it? It's life-changing. And I think the important thing is the first thing is who we are. So if you haven't received a personal prophecy and you want to know who you are, how do you find out? You look into the word of God, don't you? So with prophecy, it always has to be joined with the word. And with every prophecy, finding out who you are is one of the keys. So and for me, that's been one of the important, most important things, knowing who I am. And prophecy can be like words of life. And I've experienced this before when I thought I was dying <laughs> in Menorca. Um, I lost a baby and I um, was bleeding really badly. So, and I thought, oh, I'm going to pass out in a minute. Uh, but I was working really hard to keep myself awake. And I had this conversation with God, which went, am I dying, God? <laughs> and I felt him laugh at me and say, that, no, you're not dying. And I was like, oh, that's good. And <laughs> so I was remembering scripture saying, I will not die, but I'll live to declare the works of the Lord. And as I was lying there, waiting for the ambulance and all the rest of it, I was remem- reminding myself of the prophetic words I'd had and one that that stuck out to me was from um, a lady called Sharon Stone not the actress 
<laughs> and she said, you, you are like a rock cut out from a mountain. And you're stronger than you think. So at your weakest moment, you've got to pull on those words. That's how important prophecy is. And sometimes those prophecies might actually literally keep you alive from death's door. <laughs> so I love prophecy because it does keep you alive. And you're, you know, his word is life and health to me. That's amazing, isn't it? So normally God gets our attention at moments like that when we think we're dying or we're in major debt. But he doesn't want to wait to get our attention until those moments. He wants our attention all the time, doesn't he? And um, so he uses prophecy to get our attention because it makes us seek him and seek out his secrets. I love that scripture because that's what God said to me a while ago. I want you to spend quantity time with me because I want to tell you my secrets. I want to entrust you with my secrets and so it's lovely when God says stuff to you through prophetic word or through times when you've had with him and then you find it in scripture like Jeremiah 33 verse 3 and then the other one the you are a rock cut out out of a mountain it's actually in scripture isn't it you'll know this Peter is it Isaiah it's Isaiah and when I found that I thought good Sharon Stone doesn't just come out with nice little things to tickle people's ears. She knows her stuff as well. She knows her word. And that's, um, you know, she was saying, you're not made of wool and string and bits and pieces. You're made of a rock. And I thought, oh, that sounds nice. That's lovely. It's not just lovely. It's the word of God. And you can stand on that rock, the word. And in Timothy, it talks about you wage war. You use those words to fight the fight over your life and to come into victory. Okay. That was just an introduction. Sorry about that. <laughs> the other thing I'll just say about prophecy, um, Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and his words have life. And we shouldn't despise prophecy. You know, some of us can think maybe because prophecy's sort of been quite fashionable in church, isn't it, um, of recent years. And you can end up thinking, is this just glorified fortune telling? I think I went through a time like that, thinking, especially when it gets out of hand and people are doing it to show off their gift, which is another thing we covered yesterday. And I, what I'd say is that I know somebody who's saved from that fortune telling life, that with fortune telling, there's a, a spirit of death with it. There isn't love in it. There's a spirit of death, which is stinky and nasty. <laughs> but you can guarantee that every word that you have through prophecy, through people that are prophesying the right heart, if it's word of exhortation, encouragement, they're words of life because it comes from the spirit of prophecy, which is Jesus himself. So when you're, when you're seeking to fulfill this prophecy, to bring it into reality, it's all got to be through Jesus because that's the center. He is the fulfillment, isn't he? All the prophecies, most of the prophecies in the Old Testament were focusing on the coming Messiah, were focusing on Jesus. He is the fulfillment. He is the beginning and the end. He created us 
from the foundation of the earth, and in him all things hold together. Okay, so that's the introduction. That, I'm wowing you with that wonderful, glorious truth, okay? <laughs> anyway, so I, because I don't want to ramble on, and this is going to have some real content and structure to it, you understand, um, I was thinking, Lord, help me, because I want to get my train of thought. And as much as I hate preachers who start everything with the same letter, I am going to do the same thing today. So I've got some quick points of how, very practical quick points of how to bring about the word and then about going up the mountain, okay? So say, turn to your neighbor and say, what this lady is saying is really rather wonderful. All the wah, really rather wonderful. Because all my next points start with wah, okay? <laughs> So, and you know that I'm the mummy, I'm the mummy, okay? Often I say to dad, when he has to like correct people in church and various things and in home, I say, who's the daddy? You're the daddy. Yeah, and as, as he's going, as he's going out the front door to, you know, go to a bit of a difficult meeting, maybe where he had to say some truth in love, I go, who's the daddy? You're the daddy. And I know that we look 18, but I'll be 50 this year, and I think I'm allowed to call myself mummy and be mummy-ish. So our first point starts with the w, starts in the kitchen. So when you have your word, you weigh it up, okay? Weigh it up. But be careful not to like over, get over fanatical about this, weighing up a word, you just lightly weigh it up, take your time, don't mess it up. Like when I'm weighing out my flour, I often spill it all over the place and put too much in. Just, you know, weigh up the ingredients, but remember that they need to be worked together to bring about the result. And it takes time. So you can't be in a rush. Just weigh it up, think, does this make sense? Does this word make sense to me? Has somebody else said it through a prophetic word or has someone given me a scripture that confirms this? Just sort of mm, lightly weigh it up. But as I say, don't get too, you know, too heavy about it. Okay. Okay. Number two, word. Okay. As I say, this, the word will confirm to your heart. And also the word you can use as a springboard to provoke yourself into faith. Because it's going to take faith to actually believe that these words are going to come to pass. So I've had prophetic words brought to me that I'm going to come into a season of joy. And I know you find it hard to believe because my name is Joy and I look joyful, that I'm always joyful. But actually we've had um, a very long season of extreme pressure and grief and tragedy and all those nasty things, okay? And um, I've really had to battle with the main enemy to the outworking of prophetic word, which is self-pity. Because when we see it's not quite working, the word hasn't come to pass, we get discouraged. You can get very self-piteous, can't you? You know... And it's a real kill joy. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> I just thought of that. Um, and it kills your joy. It can rob your joy. I'm later going to be talking about getting on that mountaintop because this is really the key. But these are just practical things at the moment. But um, so I had this prophecy about three or four times, people prophesying, you'll come into some joy, a season of joy. And I'm like, I don't see it, God, because after that I had, you know, fairly few more tragic things happen. My sister died of cancer. It's a big one, isn't it? Um, And uh, so I thought, right, how am I going to tell myself that I'm in a season of joy? Because my circumstances are telling me I'm in a season of sadness. And it's fine to grieve. I think I'm a professional griever now um, because we've had quite a few tragedies in our family. Um, And it's great to grieve. We have to go through all that. And I love it because I've been able to grieve with other people, weep with those who weep. And there's a place that not very good as Penties at that, or as Anglicans. Well, sometimes the Anglicans are. But, you know, to to grieve in the right way um, and to, to be with people that grieve... Um, and to come out the other side alive. <laughs> so, how do I, how did I, how do I get to my season of joy? Well, I start doing things like, I went into my friend's house and she had these shapes, letters, glittery letters in the shape of joy. I said, oh, I like that. She said, would you like, would you like those? I said, oh, yes, please. So taking them home, they're on my mantelpiece. It says joy. And then I had a Christmas decoration which said, joy to the world. And it's still up now, even though it's summer, it's still up in my house. (laughs) So I put the word joy around. It's like a banner over me. It's joy, joy, joy. And um, joy, 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 that's right. And you find scriptures to support your case. So that's going back to the word. Always find scriptures to support your case. Write those scriptures out. And put them on your mirror, say them, memorize them, sing them, do everything you can to have them in your face. Because you need to be reminded, because we're stupid, like the disciples. They're pretty stupid, weren't they? Um, so, so write them up um, until you actually believe it. And then I tell myself things like, things would happen, and I would go, well, that's not for my season of joy. So you can go away. That's my, my season of joy. Well, I've just got to find my, the, the correct page. Hang on, here we are. Mm-mm. What else was I going to say? Ah, I was going to tell you all about. Then, the last time, two people said to Richard at a conference that I wasn't at, I've got the word joy coming to my mind. And then they started to, the, the girl said, it's your, she, did she twig it was me? Or you told her I was called joy? She's praying for me, and she said, I come into fullness of joy and all this, blah, blah, blah. The next day, the main speaker, James Maloney, this really famous guy, said to Richard, Joy. And Richard, you know, I'm called Joy. James Maloney's wife is called Joy as well. What a coincidence. He didn't know I was called Joy. So he said, I've seen Joy. And then he started prophesying about my season of joy. And all the, he started saying within six months, all the stress and pressure would be lifted off. So when Richard came back home, he was telling me that. I was going, yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> it still isn't happening. I've heard that before. Anyway, the last two weeks have been amazing. 
the stress started to lift. And mainly in the form of my, my little boy has been, not that he's, he's my joy, but there's been a lot of stresses with all his special needs. And so that Richard comes back from the hospital and the first thing that uh, comes back from the conference, sorry, having heard this prophecy, the next day or a few days later, he took Timmy to the hospital um, and said, Lord, it would be really nice if you heal Timmy's ears because he's had to wear hearing aids since the age of two. And we'd be, there's something we've been praying for, believing for. Uh, last summer I went for a test with him and I was really disappointed, came home, felt, Lord, you haven't heard my, my cry. Um, and, um, but last, the other week he came back from the hospital without his hearing aids. <laughs> and there's been various changes happening in Timmy as well, um, which are other miracles as well because it, it's been a long process and any change with Timmy takes months. It's like everything in slow motion. Uh, but God has accelerated it and we're seeing this prophecy has, um, is coming into fulfillment. So keep going, keep going with the prophecies. You know, sometimes it's going to take a while. And just keep claiming them, keep talking about them, keep reminding yourself, and eventually there's going to be breakthrough. Number three, war. As I was saying, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, it talks about the prophetic word spoken over you, um, helping you to wage war. In the Lord, one translation says the Lord's war. Um, I think it applies to our own warring for that, that breakthrough and fulfillment in our lives. And earlier on, they were talking yesterday about stirring up the gifts that comes in Timothy as well. So it's stirring those words up. It's a waging war and using them as a tool in your battle against the enemy. Because here come and tell you why, you know, why are you believing this? Look at the circumstances. You're deceiving yourself. You're deluding yourself. We've had that recently with finances. We've had amazing prophecies about finances, but we've been stretched and challenged like nothing else this year. And uh, incredible. Our, our accountant messed up our accounts last year, didn't she? Beginning of the year. Big time. And I thought I was going to have to owe £3,000 to the carer's allowance people. And it was her mistake. Well, anyway, she sorted it out, and she's doing our accounts for free this year. <laughs> uh, but, um, yes, so your circumstances, in the end, we can say, no, you're in a mess. You're deceiving yourself. You're deluding yourself. So that's when you have to keep coming back at him with a prophetic word like a sword, saying, no, you're the liar. Psh. Number four, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? We expect God to just do it all sometimes. Okay, come on, show me, Lord. I've fed up with hearing this, this word spoken over my life. When is, when is it going to happen? Well, the disciples were pretty rubbish, weren't they, at, um, <laughs> at really cottoning on to things. Because even when they'd seen breakthrough, like with the um, feeding of the 5,000, and then the feeding of the 4,000, 
where they actually had more loaves for the feeding of the 4,000 than they did the feeding of the... That's right. It says here in Matthew 16, verse 8, it said, you have so little faith. That's an understatement. (laughs) Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 that I fed with seven loaves? They had even more loaves then. And the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? See, they, they did the miracle with their hands. The disciples were doling out the bread. The disciples were the ones that picked up physically picked up the crumbs and the leftovers to go in the basket. And yet the next time where they're, we're out in the middle of nowhere, they were like, oh no, we've forgotten the bread. And he would have thought by that time they'd be going, bread, let's take bread with us, because we want to see how many more people he can feed. You know, you'd think they'd be prepared. So it's like we forget what God's done in the past. So the other thing is, is remember, count your blessings, name them one by one. Remember all the things God's done in the past. Remember all the words he's already fulfilled in your life. Don't be stupid. (laughs) Remember everything. And remind the, the enemy. Say, no, God's done this for me before. He can do more. He can feed 6,000. He can feed 10,000. He can feed millions. And I'm going to get ready. So you get ready. What is in your hand? Have you got a skill that is um, relevant to the prophetic word you've had? So I am doing now what was prophesied through Sharon Stone. She said you'll be teaching people. Um, I'm going to be teaching people about parenting. That hasn't happened yet. So I'm doing research about um, family life in different cultures um, parenting techniques and all that as my background to eventually teaching and writing my own material about about family life and parenting. So I'm preparing myself for the prophetic prophecy, the word that was spoken over me. So now I'm here teaching you. That was also prophesied. I was teaching little children to play instruments. That was also part of the prophecy. So there's lots of things that have been fulfilled before and so you remind yourself and the enemy and what is in your hand so yes so you prepare yourself by honing a skill you might want to go to college i've i've recently had some had started having revelation about a sort of conference um resourcey center placey thing um and i thought i don't know anything about hotel management so i might be going off to do a course about that to learn how to manage such a place that i've seen in my dream this big mansion that god's going to give us um (laughs) so you know you start dreaming and you think well how do i bring that dream about if i have not a clue how to do that thing practically i'm going to go and get some training um and then the other thing what was it and also start really 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 small so peter might see me in Mattersea Bible College one day because I would like to 
get, you know, some qualification in theology. Now, I haven't got time at the moment. I've got four children. I've got a child with special needs. I'm in and out of hospital appointments. I haven't got time. But I've started. So I go to a Bible study, and I've started a, a, a study plan that we do. And it is amazing. I started in a small way. So it, you can start in an incy-wincy way as a little sign saying, Yes, Lord, I'm, I'm in with this. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to start doing my part right now. And so don't give any of this excuse. I haven't got time. You don't know how busy I am. Well, stop watching telly then. <laughs> Mummy says, stop watching so much telly. <laughs> so we do have time. It's actual lie. It's a real lie, actually. And the other lie, can I just do my hobby horse thing? I know that's awful. I hate it when preachers do this. This thing about quality time is complete bunkum when it comes to children and God. It's called quantity. Quantity. Everyone say quantity. Quantity. Because quality time in this age normally means this tiny bit of time you give to your children in between all the work and church and everything that you, you do. That's what the world wants you to do. And the same with God. God gets this tiny bit of what we call quality time. It's not quality time, is it? Back me up, Peter. No. <laughs> God wants quantity time. We've been working in our lives to make quantity time for God. Sacrificing other things. And do you know what happens? You actually get through your, your to-do list much quicker. Because if you rely on the Holy Spirit, he will tell you what to do when, and it will take half as long as it would normally. We're really having to learn this. We're not brilliant at this yet, but it's what we've come into recently because we've determined to make more time for God. If we really want to be people of depth and character and integrity and move in the supernatural, we've realized we've got to do the, the grafting the quantity time, um, and and the results will, will show. Um, right. So moving on swiftly, I don't know how I'm doing for time or what's happening, but the other wh is worship. So, which is to do with the whole the whole word thing, the whole waging war, according to the prophetic word that's been spoken in your life. It all has to be done with praise and thanksgiving. How do you get out of self-pity? You just have to praise your way out. And I found this is a daily thing. I can wake up every morning with despair. That's another thing. That's another killer, isn't it? To, you know, self-pity, despair, all these things don't tell me you haven't um, had this happen to you. Um, experience this, they they can hit you like a ton of bricks as soon as you wake up in the morning. And you can either give in to that, and I do some mornings, and I? I'm like a bear with a sore head. <laughs> um, sometimes, sometimes all day, to be honest, sometimes for a couple of days, until I can muster the strength to snap out of it. And, um, and these are real enemies, and the, the, you have to combat it with praise and thanksgiving, even if it's through clenched teeth. I will praise you. 
I will praise you. Through the pain. And, and that's where the, the joy is. A, I mean, I just thank God for joy in my family. I haven't been the source of it. Richard has. The joy of the Lord, the laughter. Do you know, I, I sometimes, there was one time, <laughs> this is what you love, where Richard made me laugh so much, and the kids, the joy of the Lord hit us so much at the table, I nearly wet myself. <laughs> I was laughing so much. <laughs> Did I? Okay. <laughs> Four babies on, don't ask any questions. But, you know, it's like, we're so wanting to be in control of everything, including our bladders, obviously. <laughs> We're so wanting to be in control. We want to be in control of our problems. We're like, I will be miserable. I will be stressed. Don't talk to me, I'm stressed. This is one of my things with my, my children. No, don't ask me that question. I'm going to stress me out. It's like, mom... Can I have some money, Mum? What for? Don't ask me. I'm stressed. I'm feeling stressed. And it's like almost like a defense mechanism, isn't it, sometimes? Lord, don't talk to me about that. I'm too stressed. I'm too stressed to praise you or even think about that, that you're going to, I'm going to break through because I'm just enjoying feeling so stressed at the moment. Get into that mode of where stress, anxiety, getting angry can actually, that is your, your, is it like a default? A what? Yeah, anyway. So, (laughs) default mode, isn't it? So we have to reprogram ourselves, don't we? I learned from my math, my Matthew. You see, they, they are teaching me everything now, actually. I say I'm the mama, listen to me. But they, they, they've been teaching me now in the Lord. Isn't that great? When your kids grow up in the Lord and they, and there's a revert, role reversal, it really does your head in. I've had to adjust. They go, mum, is that faith? Is that faith speaking? And no, it's the anxiety and the you know, anger and stress. And um, uh, they're really good. Anyway, so the, 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 the thing about it is we want to be in control and there's this self-control dial that you've got to learn to have. And if you want to be joyful, you have to rejoice. You have to reset your joy button. So you go, rejoice, rejoice. I'm going to have the joy. Nothing's going to steal my joy. Nothing's going to steal my joy. Turn to the person next to you and say, nothing's going to steal my joy. So it's all about worship. Now we're coming, we're coming to the really exciting bit really now. That was all, by the way, that was also the introduction. But does that help? <laughs> we are coming to the, the crunch now. This is the really good bit. Okay, this is bit, I really, this is the next bit. This is the mountain bit. This is leading on to the mountain bit. Cause th- this bit was all what you do down here, starting out in the kitchen and all the rest of it and dealing with the old emotions and you know, you can, and that's how I operated for a long time. But in recent years, I've, you know, the enormity of the problems caused me to seek for a higher way. <laughs> Hasn't it? It's like we can't afford to live groveling down here with our problems and being in control of our anxiety. 
So we have got to live this life of worship and praise. And we've actually got to be seated in heavenly places. Now that means climbing out of all these things that press down on us down here. So how do we do that? Let's look at Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6. Is it coming up on the thing? I will, I'm ready. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? All of you, hopefully. And he's calling us. Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence. And that's, that's the call, isn't it? Pure hearts. A right relationship with God. You see, a praising heart and a heart filled with faith believes that the word of the Lord never returns to him void, but accomplishes that set out to do so if we really if we really believe that the word of god that we've received is going to come to pass at some point we have so much to praise and worship the lord for but it's more than that he's calling us up to commune with him and he's calling us up and he says we get up to that place i'll talk about our climbed mountain, but when we're up with that place, he says, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? And obviously we don't, do we? <laughs> so daily, you need to get on top of that mountain and look down on your life from the top of the mountain. Okay, you need to spend time doing that. You've got to get heaven's perspective on your life. This is absolutely mind-bendingly amazing. My son is a living example of that. There was one time we went through with him that, um, in fact, I've forgotten a lot of it. I wanted to write a book about it. Someone said, you ought to write a book about it. I was like, that's a good idea. But it was so painful. It's like, I think God's numbed my memory because I can't remember a lot of it. But what I do remember is, you know, the night after night of not being able to get him um, calm and comfortable. Uh, he couldn't sort of breathe. And there was loads going on, wasn't there? It was a reflux thing couldn't breathe and um, couldn't get him to sleep for hours and hours and hours. And um, Richard was better at it than me. And, you know, no matter how I seemed to pray, pray and like, God, help me. I remember crying out to him and getting really angry and saying, why aren't you helping me, God? And really being really, really desperate. Um, and moments like that and just feeling like he wasn't there. And I remember feeling completely panicked. Because I thought, well, surely he's always there. I'd always believed as a young child he'd always be there no matter what. And yet I didn't feel he was. I felt abandoned, actually. So, but then amidst this sort of time that was really black and bleak, there was one moment, um, one night, where I looked in his face and I just knew he'd been in the throne room of God. 
I just had this knowledge that he, um, he, 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 he has a knowledge and awareness of the throne room, and he's like hung out um, with the people that have gone before us, like my father and stuff, and that, and also that he's known them, you know, before time and all this. It's a bit amazing, really, because Jesus is the first and the the you know, beginning and the end, and all things were made through him from the foundation of the world. So it's all all that sort of stuff, but. Also, I just had this this complete knowledge that he is is whole. He's perfect in that place in the throne room. Timmy is perfect and whole, and it's just his body that's got to catch up with it. So, if we can get that perspective in our lives, that that what has been said has been it's been done already before. It's it's a bit of a mystery. And we've got to trust mystery. And there's times in our lives where you go through this faith, this thing where you think, God's not there. He's not talking to me. And it's like this, this cloud is over you. And you think it's like this oppressive cloud. It's actually like, it's the cloud of his presence. And it's a cloud of unknowing. And it's like a cloud of mystery. And you're longing to see. You can't see past the cloud. So you think, I've lost my ability to see in God or hear him. But it's because I think there's some things that you'll never know the answer to. And you really have to be okay with that. <laughs> we want to know, don't we? We want to know. I have all sorts of people trying to tell me why my son has Down syndrome. It's like, I don't want to know. I don't care. I don't care. And no, I'm not a special family that God thought, oh, I'll just bless you with this. You wouldn't go to a family and go, oh, I'll just bless you with cancer. So we have become a special family to envelop our lovely son. But it's like, I don't know. And I'm fine with that. And it's like, there's a, there's mystery there. And we have got to be big enough to, to just say, Lord, we trust you. We don't, I don't have to know the answer. Why do I have to know the answer? We're going to know when we get to heaven. There's so much that we're going to know. And it's like, we're just passing through here. But get that heavenly perspective in the throne room over your life. There's things that are, that, that it's sort of been done before in the foundation of the world. All your days are numbered. Hairs on your head are numbered. So that's, that's where we start from every day in the throne room, praising God. It's done. Thank you, God. I thank you for what you're going to do. It unfold in my life as I walk through it. The prophecy is that you're just going to unfold. You're going to do some hard work, as I explained in the woo 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 points. You know, there's the hard work to be done as well down here, but up here it's done. It's like, thank you, Lord. I'm going to walk it out. It's going to unfold to me. So, uh, huh. So, yes, I'm going to talk about my mountains, right? We have got a lovely mountain by our house called Garth Mountain, which actually now I think is technically a mountain. It used to be a hill, or at least it is in the film. It's got a, it, it was the film that Hugh Grant made called A Man Went Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain, wasn't it? And it was actually the, that was our mountain that was filmed, Garth Mountain. And we walk up there to pray. And from that mountain, I can see my house. I can see Cardiff. I can see up the valleys. 
Bless, God bless the valleys. Hey, God bless, bless Wales. And I can see my homeland, England. And my heart pines for England. It's so nice to be in England. <laughs> so I can, up this mountain, I can see my past. I can see my present. And I can see my future. Might be up in the valleys. But actually, I can see my future because there's an odd aeroplane that comes over. And Phil tells me I'm going to be going places in aeroplanes. So, so you can up this mountain. So God says, come up this mountain. Come and see. Come and see. There's you now. There's where you were. That's where you're going to be. That's, can you see? Can you see what I see? <laughs> so, <laughs> is that funny, Tim? Oh, you'll, you'll be pleased to know we're on the last page now. <laughs> yay! <laughs> oh, yay! Oh, but I didn't talk about how I got to. And we talked about self-pity and laziness. Because actually it takes a lot of effort to go up a mountain, doesn't it? And I liked the idea of mountain climbing. When Richard and I share loads of interests in common. And we like each other. That's why we're still married. <laughs> and the love bit is great as well. Because that gets better and better. But the fact is we like each other. Which has been a great help at times. When we like... <laughs> This person really irritates me as well. And I'm really irritating to live with, aren't I, sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah, we like each other. And one of his likes was mountain climbing. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. We always think it's a great idea. And you think, oh, it's a great idea to spend time with God for hours and hours until it comes to actually doing it. So he bought me a lovely pair of walking boots, didn't you? Called daisy boots, they were called. And they're lovely boots. Um, I've still got them now and I wear them. They've lasted all these years. They're good quality. Seriously, good quality walking boots and socks. And so, and so he took me out on this first expedition up the mountain. And I thought, oh, this is great. But I was only like up a tiny bit. And I was like, maybe this isn't such a good idea. And, and he kept going, keep going. And he was like behind me, pushing me like this. <laughs> And I moaned. Then came in the moaning and the aching and the blisters and the, and I absolutely hated it. I hated it the first time. I was like, do we have to go up here? And there's a part on a mountain where you think you've got to the top. And I'm like, yeah, great. We can have lunch now. <laughs> but then you notice actually, and he gets the map out and says, actually, we're not at the top. And you're like, what do you mean we're not at the top? <laughs> this is some cruel joke. And that, and that often happens with a lot of mountains, doesn't it? You think you got to the top. And that's like in life, isn't it? And you think you're there. And the temptation is to think, oh, we've come this far. That, that will do. But you can't see over the other side of the mountain. You can't see. You're not actually victorious. So you have to go all the way to the top. Why do you have to go all the way to the top? To see the view. <sighs> and, where's it gone? To see the view. Oh, you know. What else? Oh, you tell me. Why else do you have to go to the top? To see the view. To get that feeling of victory. Eat your lunch. Enjoy the solitude. And spend time with God. 
He's there waiting for you at the top of the mountain. Amazing. Could we have Luke 17, 1 to 7? Not Luke. I mean Matthew, don't I? So, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus' appearance, was, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Wow. Just imagine that meeting you on the top of the mountain. You think, well, I'm not lucky enough to live next to a mountain, thank you very much. But you can, you can have your mountain experience, can't you? Take time aside. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So he he got very excited about this, didn't he? So if you want to hear a really good rendition of this, you've got to listen to Phil's rendition yesterday. (laughs) We get really excited about, you know, we, we might not encounter Moses or Elijah on our mountaintop, but we get really excited about the thing, our mountaintop experiences, don't we? Like, oh, Lord, you've just used me to heal somebody. and Or I've got a ministry of this, or I've got a ministry of that. But actually, we can have a ministry and lose our relationship with Jesus. You can see that with some great men of God who've fallen away and lost everything. And they say the one thing that they that's broken their heart, is that they've lost that intimacy with Jesus. So this is what we need. You know, yes, we want fulfillment of the prophetic word, but we want fulfillment of a fulfilling relationship with Jesus, a fulfilling encounter. You know, we shortchange ourselves. There is more. There is so much more. There is a full encounter with Jesus. And I, I feel that we've only just begun with this. There is so much more, isn't there? <laughs> um, um, of this encounter with the glory of Jesus that shines from his face. And, and you know, I really feel... If we spend time on the mountaintop encountering Jesus like this we're going to have some of that glory shining from our, from our faces, aren't we? But we get so distracted. And um, God the Father got very, I think, probably a bit irritated at this point. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. They're, you know, they're on about Moses and Elijah. And God's saying, listen to him. You know, our focus has to be on Jesus. You know, we can get so focused on Bill Johnson or the latest, greatest, and they are wonderful and anointed and bring us to Jesus, don't they? They bring us to Jesus. But we've got to have our focus on Jesus and the radiance of his face. 
And don't mistake the cloud of his presence for bleakness. Because you can. Because it's the solitude. The silence on the mountain is deafening. Isn't it? Silence is actually... You know, it's really, uh, if you've been to Scotland, if you've climbed a mountain in Scotland, it's very different from climbing a mountain in Wales. In Wales, you've still got the, you can still see the roads and the houses. There's a, a place in Brecon Beacons, actually, where you can't. And that's a bit like Scotland. But if you've, if you've climbed a mountain in Scotland, you've got to do it if you haven't. Because the sheer volume, volume of silence is deafening. And we've got to get used to that silence of God. Because we think, oh, he's not talking to me. Mummy, he's not talking to me. I can't hear the voice of God. His voice comes in different guises, doesn't it? So that deafening silence is the voice of God. You didn't know that. All this time you've been thinking he didn't speak to me. And it's, it's just letting yourself go and just being absorbed by that, his, his deafening silence, his presence, that cloud, that all-encompassing cloud resting on you, the cloud of his presence. Whew. If you can carry that cloud of presence with you, whew, you don't actually have to say much to people. Do you? I, I love doing experiments. This is in closing, by the way. Um, where you can let somebody talk at you. They might be arguing with me. You might be your abusive next-door neighbor like we have. Lovely Ahmed. And I just stand there and, and just think, presence of God, just come and rest on him now. The spirit of peace be on him. And that's happened, hasn't it? Came in our, in our corridor. When he came in to start attacking us, this cloud came down. Vroom. Whoa. So you carry that cloud with you into the most difficult situations where you so, somebody could be swearing and accusing you. You know, and you can just stand there. Don't look smug, but, you know, <laughs> you just stand there and say, Lord, try and listen to what they're saying, maybe. But just... Practice the presence of God. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.